James Harden is a Brooklyn net. Wow. We give a full breakdown of the blockbuster trade that is Harden going from Houston to BK in a mega four-team deal. We also chat with one of Kerry's old Nets teammates in New Jersey, a Celtics TV analyst. It's the white Mamba himself, Brian Scalabrini. Plus, Brian Lewis from The Post takes us inside the Kyrie Irving saga. All that and you've got mail next. Coming up on a James Harden edition of the Full Court on Flatbush podcast from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. A New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former Nets great Kerry Kittles. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Kerry underscore Kittles30 and at Robin Lundberg. New episodes of the show come out Wednesday afternoons. We got a pair of Bryans joining us later in the show. Former Nets forward Brian Scalabrini and the post Nets beat writer Brian Lewis. But first, Kerry, uh, any Nets news to talk about today? There's a lot to discuss today on today's show. <laughs> Full court on Flatbush, James Harden edition, as I, I referenced before, as the blockbuster trade has, in fact, gone down. The Rockets sending James Harden to the Nets. It's a four-team deal involving the Pacers and the Cavaliers. Karis LeVert is going to wind up in Indiana with Victor Oladipo going to Houston. Jared Allen and Torian Prince are going to the Cavs in the deal. The Nets are giving up three first-round draft picks, 2022, 2024, and 2026. Plus, they have pick swaps with the Rockets now in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. I think I kept track of all that. When they say blockbuster deal, they're not kidding with this one, Kerry. Good job. Good job. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> a lot of movement. We know we also uh, talked to Brian Scalabrini and, and Brian Lewis uh, about the Kyrie Irving saga. That portion of the show was recorded before this James Harden news, but we had to reconvene for the emergency James Harden uh, reaction. And, and Kerry, to me, you know, it, it's hard to process something like this immediately. And, and I know a lot of Nets fans are, are going to actually have um, some disappointment because they see a bunch of picks going and, and they've seen that before. They, they see, you know, guys who were part of building up this core, um, Allen and Lavert. You know, when, when you go from nothing to something, you want some of those guys to remain. And really, Joe Harris is the only guy who, who is remaining. So let, before we get to the, the, the huge upside of all this, where do you fall on that? Who the, the Nets fans that are going, hey, why are we doing this again? And, and, and are upset about, you know, giving up core players. Those are those are true concerns from from Nets fans. I mean, obviously, um, we remember what, you know remember when the new owner took over and he was excited about owning the Nets, uh, Prokhorov, and he made the deal for for uh, Garnett and Pierce, and you know he gave up all those picks. So that 
that uh, memory is, is still in the minds of Nets fans. And, and you know, you, you're putting all your eggs in a basket of, you know, older veteran players. In this case, it's a older, disgruntled, sort of hardened um, situation. But I, I think there's other elements that come into play here with, um, you know, previous relationships and previous uh, connections with Harden and, and members of the Nets organization. So um, it's a little bit different. I, I, I think there's a lot to unpack here, and I just can't wait to discuss it with you. You know, the, the difference is they're in their prime. You know, Kevin Durant in his prime, James Harden in his prime, Kyrie Irving in, in his prime, uh, Kev, uh, Kevin Garnett and, and Paul Pierce, obviously great players, but they were well past their prime. So this deal is completely different in that regard. And the, the first part I want to get into is the Kyrie Irving insurance aspect of this. I don't know how in the loop the Nets have been with Kyrie, but when I see him go off the wall, you know, out there like this, and you don't know where he is, I think it does put the, the organization in a more desperate situation. And you bring in a James Harden, Katie and Harden are a foundation by themselves. You know, it also helps you, you know, keep Harden in a Brooklyn Nets. I mean, keep uh, Durant in a Brooklyn Nets uniform going forward. So I think that's one aspect of this deal you have to look at is the Kyrie Irving insurance part. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We're, you know, Kyrie right now is definitely going through some things and the, um, the organization is probably trying to decide whether it's, um, you know, in our best interest to have a little bit more insurance, especially with Dinwiddie being out right now. You bring in the most prolific score in the NBA right now the last few years. I mean, hands down, no one scores like Harden. Um, you put him in there in the lineup with with Durant um, and you let that play out. And if Kyrie is coming back uh, shortly or wherever he's able to come back and contribute, you um, you know, you now you're having to see with the three trifecta, how can they mesh uh, heading into later in the season? Well, as a big three, if Kyrie is in, indeed back, I mean, it's a, about as talented a, a trio of players who've ever played together. You know, like I, I, people have this concern, isolation basketball. I don't have a concern about that. I mean, all these dudes can ball. They'll figure that part out. Yeah, they will. I mean, you, you look at what happened with um, with uh, LeBron James going out of Miami, right, with, with, with Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. They made it happen. It took them some time to build their chemistry. And the same, the same will happen here. I mean, Harden has never played with Kyrie, so that chemistry will build over time. But – you know, these guys are elite players. They know how to play. The game is just so open now anyway. There's not much strategy. It's just hooping, so they'll be fine. Yeah, but the, this team is now like the villains of the NBA, right? Considering what's going on with, with Kyrie Irving and, and how James Harden lit his Houston Rockets legacy ablaze. Yes, he did. I mean, he clearly he clearly let everybody in the basket, basketball fear know he wanted out of Houston, and he was uh, very unhappy with, with the situation there. Um and now the Nets, right, the Nets have really, really committed to what the analytics have said, which is this is a scoring league, right? We saw that in the last few games that um, – or actually thus far this season when the Nets have scored over 120 points, they're, they've done pretty well. And so last night's game was indicative, right? They were shooting the ball really poorly in the first half, and in the third quarter they pushed forward, got it to over 120, and there you go. You get a victory. So you bring in Harden, another guy uh, who can contribute – you know, in big numbers and big bunches, um, he's going to give other teams nightmares. I mean, who are you going to leave now, right? You have put those guys on the court with with Harris. Uh, that is a tough, <laughs> that's a tough lineup right there to deal with. Yeah, I mean, just scoring all over the place, shot creation all, all over the place. In fact, it's probably the most shot creation that's ever existed on a basketball court simultaneously. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Harden, though, you know, people have concerns about the way it went down, like we, we just referenced. That's not my concern. You know, I don't like it. You know, there's a part of me that doesn't want to see him rewarded for that. 
at the same time, he's different than Kyrie, where with Kyrie, you have this unpredictable nature and, and, and you know, concerns about how reliable he is. I think now that Harden got what he wants, we'll see full James Harden in full effect from day one. And you know you can count on him to be out on the court. Yeah, you, you can. I mean, Harden is, uh, he's out of shape right now, right? We know that coming into the season, you know, he, he, he has some fun in the offseason and things like that. He didn't show up on time. Um, but, you know, listen, Harden is, is a reliable player. He's healthy. You know, even last night where he played, he didn't look great, but he was, he was out there in, in, in full effect. Um, so I, I would love to, I'm so excited about watching him play. I mean, I wish he could play tonight against the Knicks. <laughs> but, uh, but, man, this is an exciting move for the Nets. I can't wait to see how it play out. Um, with, the, with the Nets. What about the rest of the roster, though? I mean, like, you know, wh- where do you go at, at this point? Because Allen w- was developing. I mean, DeAndre Jordan doesn't look like a, a great option as, as a starting center. There's a part of me that wants to see, you know, Jeff Green there as a, a small ball center. I think Nick Claxton really has to get back. But you're, you're piecing together the, the rest of the roster uh, around these guys. Um, not really. I mean, really, we've we've always known that the five center position was a, was a difficult uh, position for these guys, right? I mean, um, it's, it's been a sore spot when, when DeAndre Jordan is out there. I mean, he really hasn't been productive thus far. And yeah, yes, uh, Jared Allen was, <laughs> was really developing this year and playing well for them. But I think Jeff Green and others will step in, whether it's Claxton or whoever. They'll go small. They'll make do in today's game. I don't really think you need a six foot eleven center out there banging bodies. Um, there will be some. You will have to have some meat against Joel Embiid. You know, facing him in the in the postseason. But other than that, in the East, this is pretty wide open at the five position. But I can hear the the internet people responding to me right now, Carrie, and they're going, "But what about the defense? This doesn't fix the defense. This doesn't fix the re- the rebounding." This is all about scoring points. I mean, who's going to keep up with the net scoring points? <laughs> but do you, you guys imagine? worry about that with with three guys who always want the ball first, assuming Kyrie gets back? In crunch time, who's getting it? Who do you give it to? KD, Harden's going to want it. There's going to be time Kyrie wants it. There's going to be time uh, KD wants it. Harden, like, it's a lot. It's like in NBA, it might work out in the video game. But in real life, how does crunch time work? Somebody will make the sacrifice. And these guys are, are, you know, Kyrie. Listen, when you watch how Kyrie's played with KD, they both played with superstar players in the past. They've learned how to make sacrifices for the betterment of the team. They understand Harden is in the league by himself, kind of, sort of, with scoring. So they'll defer to whoever, and they know that on certain nights, certain guys will get the, the shot and their numbers called, and they'll play it by ear. But I think having Nash and D'Antoni in their, in their ear – you know, these guys are making a necessary adjustment. I don't think Kevin Durant cares about that at all. I, I think Kevin Durant just wants to play basketball and 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 will help in, in all sorts of ways. He impacts the court in all sorts of ways. He just happens to be, you know, a ridiculously gifted wizard of a scorer and one of the 15 best players who's ever played the game, right? Um, So that that is a plus. The other guys, what are the expressions? Real recognize real, game recognize game. Exactly. You know, when, when that happens, you tend to see, we've seen it on Olympic teams and the like, players defer, even players make sacrifices like, like Kerry mentioned. And, and I wonder if James Harden secretly didn't want to play the way he's been playing all the time. You know, he, he once apparently told Steph Curry at the All-Star game that he wanted to play a little bit more free-flowing. So I think because these guys are such threats, and that the court is going to be so spread, they're going to get filthy looks. They're going to get opportunities to to get threes. They're going to get opportunities to get threes off the dribble, off the off the catch. You know, attacks off the bounce. I think all those opportunities are going to come for them. So I, I really, you know, I wouldn't worry a, about that. You know, remember when Kyrie said, "I finally have another teammate who can do this stuff at the end of games," which was a slight and an unjustified one 
at LeBron James. But there are now three options for the Nets, not to mention, you know, oh, Joe Harris is wide open for a three. Eat those buckets. Yeah, I think today's game, right, with the pace of play, right, and with the style of play, everything is driving and kick, dribble handoffs. The court is so spread open. Everyone gets shots now. You don't have to worry about plays getting called for a certain guy, and you're going to feature him. He's going to hold the ball. Remember Carmelo, right, sticky fingers. Let's just sit around and watch Carmelo go one-on-one. The game now is all about moving the ball. It's, it's all about pace to play. So in that regard, everyone will get their touches. And you just know when you get your shots, you just have to go in. And, and again, we'll get to it later in the show. We don't know what the hell's going on with Kyrie right now. <laughs> right? That so like, that given, given that aspect of it, I, I think we love to say big three, KD, Harden, and Kyrie. And, and ultimately, that's the vision. And if it is the big three, no excuses. Right? No excuses. The expectations are a championship. For yes. the Brooklyn Nets, yes. period. That is, clear. that is clear. Even even without having a true center besides DeAndre Jordan, I think that is very clear. They want to win this year and by definitely next year. Yeah, while they're under contract. I'll put it like that. Because this year, I mean, I think the Lakers remain the favorite. But beyond that, there's not a team that has more talent than Brooklyn. But you also have to deal with the possibility that you don't know what you're getting from Kyrie. And that's where, I, you know, ultimately I have to say I would make the move too. Because you're getting James Harden under team control, another all-time great player. Um, that is is something I don't know if you can pass up when you have the, the opportunity to do. I agree. And let's not forget, too, the Nets have put in for that um, that uh, disabled exception for Dinwiddie's contract. So they will possibly have some more money to spend this year to bring in another complimentary player. So that that's going to be an interesting um deal with the Nets trade as well. Yeah, Kerry, on that point, the Nets have three spots. They have their $5.7 million tax mid-level uh, mid exception, the minimum exception and, exception, and the 5.7 disabled player exception, like you said. So a guy like Jamal Crawford, maybe another center. And guys, look look later in the season, second half of the season, you're going to see players on the buyout market, and the Nets are going to be all in on those guys later in the season. They're yeah. a prime destination for, for anybody who wants to come, right? And, and you know, you, you worry about the, the draft picks, and I get it, but uh, I, you would think those first few um, first-round picks aren't, aren't going to be too high. The pick swaps could be what would come back to, to bite you down the line. You can always um, find first-round picks. Yeah, I mean, look, and Nick Claxton is a guy who it, it, they need back who they, they could develop, right? Uh, Joe Harris is a player that they did develop. Spencer Dinwiddie is a player that they did develop. They weren't high picks. They didn't trade Spencer Dinwiddie in this deal, so that's still something to watch, not this year, but obviously for, for the team in the future. And now Sean Mark's got to do his job. He's got to be shrewd with those moves on the margin and the edges because they're going to be important. But it, it's a lot harder to get these foundational pieces than, than it is to, to get those ancillary pieces. The biggest part the biggest point you made thus far is circling back to Kyrie Irving and finding out, okay, where is Kyrie's head right now? What's going on with him? How can the Nets figure out, you know, um, how, does, how to better support Kyrie with whatever he's dealing with? I think that's the biggest factor right now with this next season. I think once he comes back and he's healthy with, with uh, Kevin Durant healthy and Harden finally getting into shape, I mean, who in the East can stop those three guys? Well, you guys say Harden, like you, you're kind of swiping, sweeping under the rug that James Harden, it's really the big four of you include his belly. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's gotten big. So you're sweeping that like he's going to lose the weight and get in shape. What if he's still hitting the Taco Bell drive through Who knows? Because, because this is not, you know, a pattern of behavior for James Harden. We, we've Correct. seen it. it. It's petulant behavior to, to force this trade. We, we get that. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But I, I've seen what Harden does. And Harden is generally cooking. And, and not for himself to eat, but other players on the floor. 
So I think, you know, James Harden's going to get rid of that weight in two weeks. He, he would he dropped 40 something his first game back with that weight. You know, he's averaging 25 points and 10 assists right now. So while you think like he garbage. got fat to get out of Houston. I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, too, like with, with the Nets, the lights are brighter in, in Brooklyn. I mean, and like you said before, the pressure is going to be there to win and to win big. So I think in that regard, it just, you know, a couple of weeks of watching what he eats and, and playing some minutes, the weight the will shed quickly. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, like, don't you love having conversations? Like, who's the best player on the Nets? I think most people will go Kevin Durant, but then it's second. Is it Arden? Is, is it Kyrie? And if Kyrie's your third best player, what are you freaking saying at that point? Uh, it's going to be a matchup nightmare for, for, for the team. Thing. You're switching. I mean, guys, we saw what, what James Harden has been doing the last five years. When, he's, when guys switch on him, he is a, a nightmare cover. Carrie, I mean, as somebody who's guarded these guys, we've talked about it on this podcast before, Jordan, you know, Kobe, all-time greats. And I think all three of these guys belong in the conversation as all-time great scorers, uh, right? KD, Kyrie, and Harden. If you're looking at the scouting report, what are you thinking? How do you stop them? Right. You have so much space to score. And back, you know, I was guarding Jordan and guarding Kobe. They got by me. There was always weak side help, you know, making them take tough shots around the rim or kick the ball out. Nowadays, it's wide open in the, around the basket. So, you know, it is going to be very difficult to, to cover those guys. And they're going to throw different looks at you with with their actions with, with Steve Nash and, and D'Antoni. So I, I'm excited to see how it's going to pan out. I, I, I think uh, they would not have made this deal without Kevin Durant's approval. Because we all know he's a corner, he's a cornerstone of what they got going. So um, he's okay with it. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, let me play the other side for a second too, because uh, you know I've tried to do that a little bit. To be fair, you know the 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 amount of draft picks that they're giving up, fans worried about that, not building in, in that fashion, but also you know likability. You know Jake alluded to it w- with Harden. Obviously, you've got the situation going on with with Kyrie. You know, is, is there anything to you know, a, a fan having to, to swallow something to root for this team? Or do you think that's just going to completely go away as soon as you see them on the court, no matter what jersey they're wearing, especially if it's those classic ones? I, I think it'll go away. I, and I think it's a difference, too, when you're getting traded to another team and you're joining up with another guy. You're the guy that they're expecting to kind of make the adjustment in your game, right? LeBron went down to Miami and he's playing with Dwayne Wade. That's his franchise. That means LeBron James, as great as you are, you're going to be expected to make sacrifices in your game and to play the game the way we're going to expect you to play the game. So once the rules of engagement, right, are set with Steve Nash and how and his expectations with, with uh, James Harden's game and how it needs to morph into the Nets franchise and system, I think he's going to be capable of doing that and making the changes, and we'll see how it plays out. Guys, if there is open real estate somewhere in Brooklyn, get the pole and open the strip club because James Harden is here. He will be making it rain on and off the court. Uh, great business opportunity in Brooklyn, I'll say that. Though We talked about retiring Kerry's jersey in the rafters. Harden's will be retired at Sapphires and Scores pretty soon. Adam Adam Silver says you can't go out now in public. you got to well, stay later, home at all Later time. in the year, Kerry, you know, he's going to be here at least one more year after this hopefully longer uh you'll see him out there hey yo look these guys got plenty of money and and yeah but put it into the local economy we've been talking about that <laughs> a lot right that's never stopped Harden in the past though you know and, like- and it hasn't changed his game he, he's still been able to go out there and perform I mean, that's what he's all about anyway so yeah, I mean, he's durable, too. Again, I keep going back to that point, but he's reliable. He'll beat out there on the court. You can count on him out there uh, on the, the court. And, and you know, like, that's a foundational that's a foundational kind of, of piece. And you're, I mean, you talk about the level of talent on this team. I mean, there, there's, there's definitely never been, like, 
that uh, a level of talent, an assemblage of talent of, of three players like that in, in this franchise's history. How many franchises ever have simultaneously? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, the this core and these superstars, like you said earlier, they're in their prime. And let's not forget, guys, they do have blue-collar guys, right? You throw in Jeff Green, you throw in Bruce Brown, you throw in TLC. Those guys are great role players. They understand. They'll do the blue-collar work. They'll get in there and they'll scrap for loose balls and things of that sort and, and make shots for them. So um, I'm not concerned. I think the, the Harden thing is going to be a little bit blown out of proportion because of how he played, his style of play, and the adjustments that need to be made. And obviously now coming to play with other superstars, can you mess with them on a winning team and advance in the playoffs? Because the expectations will be through the roof with those three guys. Yeah, I mean, Steve Nash called him a walking bucket. Durant, now you got three walking buckets, you know, holding hands, going down Flatbush as you're listening to full court uh, on Flatbush. The pressure is on for Sean Marks to, to round out the roster. The pressure is on for Steve Nash to, you know, figure all this out. And, and the pressure is obviously on those superstar players. But we do have that question. Where is Kyrie Irving in all of this? We talked to a former teammate of Kerry Kittles, uh, Brian Scalabrini, before the Harden trade went down, but during the midst of that Kyrie saga. And that's coming up next. Our next guest here on Full Court on Flatbush played four seasons with the Nets. He's the current co-host of the starting lineup with Frank Isola on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Also a Celtics TV color commentator on NBC Sports Boston. It's Brian Scalabrini. And Brian, I'll serve it right up to you. I'll throw you the lob. You have some familiarity with Kyrie Irving's time in Boston. So, you know, this is surprising to many. Are you surprised? by what we're seeing with Kyrie Irving right now? Well, first of all, I want to take the time. And the reason why I'm doing this is because my guy, Kerry Kittles, and I should thank him. I Somehow I squeaked out 11 years in the NBA, and I think a lot of it had to do with the very first time he, we drove up to Boston in the summer league, and he took me under his wing because, you know, I didn't think I belonged, but Kerry made me believe that. So, Kerry, this is me saying thank you for, for that. So let's get into Kyrie Irving. No, I'm absolutely not surprised by all this. The only thing I'm surprised by is he has everything he wants from his favorite team growing up, allegedly, from his favorite city, allegedly, to his best friend, allegedly, to his best game as a net in the Utah game, and now he doesn't want to play. So I don't, I cannot figure this one out. I can see Kyrie Irving tapping out if things weren't going well. But right now, I thought, like, if, I, I don't know if it could have went any better for him to start this year. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it really couldn't have if, from a, you know, a play standpoint. And that's why, Brian, sometimes these things turn into an outrage contest. And that's never been the way I go about things. It's just like, I don't know if I can out, outrage people. But it, it is a shame when, when he's not out there from the basketball standpoint, not in the grand, uh, you know, scheme of life, because this dude is, is sensational on the court. Yeah, he's a beautiful player to watch. I mean, as much as I don't like him, he makes great Nikes. My, my daughter buys them. I watch all of his highlights because he does. it's a great teaching point to watch, uh, to tell kids how to dribble their head up and be able to, this is what is possible. But as far as like the day-to-day, -day, like that's the hard thing to take. I think the NBA is, is I, I know a lot of people – growing up dream of how great the NBA is, but you know, there's about 90% of it, which is an absolute grind and things that you have to do to get to the 10%, which was the part that you absolutely love to do. And, uh, I'm not sure Kyrie loves the, you know, the entire spectrum of the league. Hey Brian, this is Kerry. So 
when when you watch what Kyrie is going through right now and, and thinking back in his days in Boston, I mean, you had a younger coach in, in Brad Stevens having to adjust to, right, one of his superstar players who, um, you know, who, who dealt with some issues. And, and, you know, Danny Ainge has been around the game forever. How do you see the Nets with Steve Nash and, and uh, Sean Marks being able to work with work with Kyrie throughout this issue um, and hopefully put an end to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're doing the best job they can. Like, I don't know exactly what more they could do. I, I, I think they're they're backing him as best they can. I mean, if you read if you read between the lines and the stuff that like Steve Nash is saying, you could tell that he's really frustrated with this. When someone asked him the other day about the birthday party that he went to, and he, you know, he said Sean Marks made a statement, and I'd rather just focus on the Denver Nuggets. So. I think those guys are doing the best job he can. And, and you know, like, if, of all the people out there, I, I, don't, I don't know how the rest of the NBA feels about Steve Nash, but I, he, he was awesome to watch. And he was an awesome player. I thought he got he squeezed every ounce of talent out of his body to be able to, you know, to be a two-time MVP and a first ballot Hall of Famer. So I would think that, that that's the type of guy that you would respect and, and want to go to war with. But I, I understand that there are times when you don't feel like playing basketball. I, I do understand that. But why is basketball different than any other job out there where you don't feel like going to work, but you figure out a way to get it done? You do it for your family. You do it for because you want to set an example to other people. I, I just I just feel like there are and, – and by the way, it might be good to go out there and play basketball and whatever you're going through, which I have no idea what it is, to, to go out there and play and, uh, and then, then deal with uh, – for that two and a half hours – you could do what what you have worked your your whole entire life for, which makes me go back to the point, Terry. I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure he likes to play basketball as good as he really is. I'm not sure he loves it like the guys that you you played with and, and been a part of. When, when you look at Kyrie's struggles, though, I mean, and, and what's been reported thus far, it seems to be that it's, it's leaning towards a mental health issue, right? I mean, it's um, and, and that's that's definitely something that he's he's talked about in the past. Um, how do you see the league handling things like this as they're moving forward, right? We're seeing players across the league. We're obviously Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan being outspoken with mental health uh, challenges and, you know, Paul George and what he experienced in the bubble. How do you see the league taking um, steps to support players in general when they're dealing with this? Do you think that the league needs to step in and just give guys um, their needed space to uh, work through these challenges? Or do you think that it should be a little bit more uh, black and white with stances and, and suspensions and things of that sort? So I understand, like, if you need mental health days, then I think you should come out with a statement. And, you know, like, here's here's what I'm going through. This is, I, I need some, some time and I'm not going to, and during that time where I'm trying to get my mind right, I'm willing to forgive my check and donate it to, you know, uh, this charity in Brooklyn or whatever it is. But, Terry, I'll ask you, you buy a ticket to your favorite artist and you're about to go and watch your favorite artist perform, and that artist calls in and says, you know what, I'm having a mental health day. Would you expect your money back? Would you say, you know what, you know what, it's, this whole thing is bigger than basketball. This is about mental health, and I care about that artist that I was going to go watch, uh, that, you know, that entertainer that I was going to go watch, and, you know, they can go ahead and keep my money. It's no big deal. Is that what you would say, or would you say, Wait a minute here. Like I paid for a show, I didn't get a show, and I deserve my money back. Yeah, you're right. You make a, you make a fair point, and I and I think that's the balance, right? That I think we all gonna have to come to as a society, as we're seeing more and more athletes, more and more entertainers, um, being more courageous and talking about their mental health issues and and addressing them and confronting them. And so, 
You're right. There is a there's a definite imbalance. I mean, fans are outraged. You go on Twitter, you you see the comments from fans. They want to see Kyrie out in uniform. They don't want to hear about Kyrie missing games for something else, especially things of this sort. So it's just uh, a delicate situation. Let me follow up with that, Kerry. What do you think Kevin Durant feels about this? Kevin Durant joined Kyrie Irving. And obviously, you know, I think Kevin Durant's on a level where he understands what championships are. He's saying that he's on one of the all-time great teams. He's here, and man, do you ever watch a possession where you think Kevin Durant doesn't love to be out there, doesn't love hooping? Why would you not want to play with this guy? And it made me think, I definitely think he does have some mental health issues because you want to leave LeBron James and you want to not play with Kevin Durant? Man, there's definitely something wrong with Kyrie. You know, uh, to the point you brought up before, Brian, I'm, I'm sensitive to the, the mental health aspect of it, right? You know, I, I go to therapy. I wake up in the morning every day to do meditation and breathing exercises and, and things like that. It, it's important. I think, uh, you know, things that have gone on in the world recently, obviously, things, you know, being trapped in your house, those can all raise your anxiety levels. So I do think there would be a, a level of understanding if Kyrie just communicated, you know, if, if it was just put out there, like you you said, and, and that hasn't been the case. And I, I think actually, you know, up until maybe like today, the media has been, who he hates so much apparently, has been more than fair in, in allowing this picture to, you know, develop more clearly. But the, the, the picture as it develops has been him at parties and him on Zoom calls. And, and I think that's where you're, you're reaching that breaking point right now. And listen, I understand for Kyrie's, in Kyrie's world, it probably doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't really matter what I think or what any of you guys think. I, I understand that. But like the optics could be a lot better. I think he has like a conglomerate of people around him. I'm assuming that if you've done a movie – you're Kyrie Irving, you got the Nike deal, you must have some type of publicist or something, right? Like, can't we make, if you want to do this, like, let's use this as a springboard to help people that have mental problems. I, I just don't, like, bailing, I just can't, I, I can't roll with that. Regardless of how, what you're going through, in no part of life are you allowed to bail. Just literally, like, I'm not going to talk to my coach. And by the way, guess who has to answer questions? Kevin Durant, Steve Nash, Sean Marks. All these people got to speak for Kyrie, and Kyrie is uh, can I can I can I just get like a statement that I read and I don't understand? Like, can I at least get like some type of like a Kyrieism where he's saying some wild stuff that I just clearly don't get? I'd rather have something I can read and not understand than not have anything at all. Yeah, keep your third eye open and your mouth closed instead is what we got going on right now. Yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever that is, right? Whatever, whatever the statement. Can I get a statement that I can at least like understand? partially understand that he's heading in a certain direction because that's what I normally get. Let's take it back for a second, Brian, because you referenced off the top uh, how much you respect your relationship with, with Kerry here. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, you, you spent a, a few years with the Nets playing with Kerry, playing with Kid. W- what's your favorite memory from, from those Nets teams? So when people ask about that, right, it's an it's a interesting thing. I wonder when I ask normal people the same thing, right, I would assume that these memories are the same. The memories are, you know, being on a plane and playing cards. The memories are being in the locker room. The memories are winning like a, a title together and in, in the interaction with one individual. When I think back, I don't think about like the games. I don't think about a shot. I don't think about any of that. I think of all the, like the, the thing I missed the most when I got done playing was not, man, I wish I was out there doing this and making this shot or making that play or just the emotion of it. It was, man, I really missed the interaction with my teammates and um you know like I was one of those guys is just like 
I, I, I didn't have a lot of friends outside of basketball. My friends were my teammates. And like, if I got a new team, then my new friends were my new teammates. And that's just the way that I kind of rolled. And so I think I missed the interactions more than anything. Like I will always remember driving up in the CL 500 from, from Jersey to Boston and Kerry had somehow, I, I was like some kid from the country that went to USC and somehow Kerry Kittles can play a movie while I, while we drove up there. And I hadn't, I didn't even care about the movie. I just wanted to pick his brain. But the fact that a movie could be playing as we drove up to Boston, like blew my mind. I will always remember that or going out to dinner or like, how about ask Kerry about the plane flight in, uh, San Antonio, where the plane took three turns trying to land, and guys were saying their prayers, thinking it was all over at that point. I remember stuff like that. As, as I, I remember the games, like I remember Game Six, and we were up big, and we and I remember Kerry figured out like the way that he was guarding Tony Parker, and Jason Kidd was guarding Ginobili, and it really screwed them up because they were cross matched on the other end. I remember like that type of stuff. But it's nothing like that one thing that really sticks out. It's more about the relationships. I'm, I'm surprised you can't remember Jason Kidd's pass between two guys with, with the backspin, and it just, like, died and landed yeah. right, <laughs> right in my hands. I, his, magical, his magical passes were, were amazing. And you, too. Like, when, when Kerry decides to get out, take three steps to get going to the other end of the floor, it was over. And Kerry, as the season went along, as he got more used to Jason Kidd, he got faster and faster, which is also pretty amazing. Well, you got to hear, wait, hold on a second. You were telling us, Scal, before we started, that Kerry's Mr. Wall Street. Can you tell us about this Wall Street side of Kerry Kittles that we don't know about? Yeah, I, I really thought you were going to get into stocks. Like, I thought you dressed apart. Your suits were always on point. Like, I really thought, and you were interested. You were interested in, in at the time of, uh, of, of stocks or, or trading or whatever it was. I, I was like, I was little money. I was big money over there. So I, I, I really thought Kerry was going to end up doing financial advising or, you know, like recruiting NBA hedge funds and stuff like that. But I didn't know if you were, you were going to be a, the, like an all-in lifer for hoop. Yeah, but you, you, you failed to realize that I was always a mentor at heart. And so I was always trying to help you and RJ and Jason Collins. So, you know, my, my heart's always been to giving back to, to the game and, and helping young players. So, so you speak about friends, not having a lot of friends. But one of your closest friends throughout your entire career was Rob Palenka and probably still is to this day. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship and how that kind of led you to kind of de develop a friendship with Kobe Bryant and thus what did Kobe think when he heard the first time he heard the name White Mamba? Like, what, what did Kobe say? I'm just so curious. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't. I I wasn't that close. I know Rob worked in our office. I I he didn't rep me. Bob Myers rep me, but you know I, he was in our office and I hung out with him once or once or twice. But I actually don't know what he thought of the White Mamba. I do know that when I got I got on Twitter like a week after Kobe, and he said I think his. The antisocial is now social, um, like some black mambas on Twitter. So I came out and said white mamba was more antisocial than black mamba. And I, I, now I'm on Twitter and he gave me a, a retweet and a comment. And my, that day, I, first day, I was hovering around 6,000, maybe 7,000. I jumped up to 50,000 and it took around uh, two hours. So a little shout out from Kobe really took me to a, another level. And I don't, I don't, I don't actually know. I've never talked to him. The only thing, it was that. And then at the end, his last game in Boston, I, uh, we dapped it up because it was like he knew. It was like, you know, the farewell tour and stuff like that. We had a little Mamba moment. That was, that was about it, Kerry. 
Gotcha. You got to help us uh, boost uh, Kerry's social media profile. He, he's he's really low key on, online. We we got to get get his followers up. We can see how fast we can get him. To Don't 30K. do it. Don't do it. Social media is dark place, Kerry. It's just it's, you don't want those problems, man. Trust me. Last question about the Nets. I mean, you you got a chance to see the Nets right in, in Boston this year when with Kyrie and KD. You know, in full effect, they were dynamic in both of those games. I mean. You know, I, I tend to think that Kyrie is going to rebound from this experience. I think that they're going to work things out. That's just been around, being around the game for a while and understanding that, you know, these things unfortunately take place. And if we watch the, the last dance, right, we saw someone struggling with off-the-court issues and Dennis Rodman, and he was a great player that helped Jordan win championships. And so I think Kyrie will figure this thing out in the net, so we'll figure it out. And, you know, what do you think about the Nets as a, as a playoff threat with those guys healthy in, in the lineup late in the season? I mean, it, it, so I disagree with the Kyrie thing. I don't think that it will – I don't think it will figure it out. I, I think it will be some frustration this year, but I will attest to what you're saying. If everything is right and Kyrie is being the best version of Kyrie, which hasn't been that way for a long time. we got to go all the way back to 2016 to get the best version of him. I mean, consistent best version of him. I thought that jazz game was unbelievable, unreal. I kept rewinding it, recording like on my phone, just sending my friends, like, look at this play right here, look at that play right there. And um, so I do understand his greatness and talent. I understood it when I was here in Boston. I just think there's so much more to winning basketball games than just being talented. And if, if uh, like when I watch Kevin Durant, that is like the standard of which I, I believe that you need to have two players that are bought in and love the hoop like that. And I don't know if Kyrie will ever be that consistently. I, I, I do think he'll have his moments, but I don't, I just don't, I can't, I can't buy it. I've seen it here. I've seen it in Cleveland. The fact that he left LeBron, the fact that he doesn't, not, not playing with Durant right now. Listen, I know he's going through a lot, I guess, allegedly, but I, I just think it's so hard to win without having, you know, guys that are just absolutely, I mean, locked in. You've seen, you've been to the finals. You've seen the guys and how locked in. We didn't have distractions like that, Kerry. So if, when we were on the cusp of, of winning it all, the San Antonio Spurs who we played didn't have distractions like that. Like when teams are the most bought in, think about the Clippers last year, and you brought up Paul George. The Clippers struggled because Paul George had a hard time in the bubble. He was going, you know, he missed his family or whatever it was. And they got ousted by the Nuggets and who were – all in on, on one another. So I, I think there is a, a element of having to be all in and not having distractions to win it all. So, Scal, you, when you say it's not going to work out, you're you're more saying in terms of the chemistry and on the court they won't work out. You think Kyrie's going to come back at some point and play. You just don't think they're going to mesh and work out. No, I don't out. know. I have no idea what Kyrie's going to do. I just think from my experience of going to the finals and winning a championship – it takes an all-in type of guy. Like, if you're Kevin Durant right now, are you looking at Kyrie Irving saying, oh, yeah, that's my guy. I can count on that dude. But I don't think he is. So we're seeing the Houston Rockets right now. Like, I, I bet you within the next two weeks, if James Harden isn't traded, there's a fight that breaks out. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, James Harden, something will break out. That chemistry is messed up because James Harden wants out of that place. So, yeah, I think – I'm not saying that Kevin Durant and Kyrie are going to get into a fight. I don't think they'll get into a fight. I'm just not sure that Kevin Durant, who came and wanted to go and play for the Nets with Kyrie Irving, is thinking, man, like this is the guy I, I signed up for. I don't know what I was thinking leading Steph Curry. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody knows what's going to be on the next episode of where the hell is Kyrie Irving right now or what is Kyrie Irving thinking. We really appreciate your thoughts, Brian. Brian Scalabrini co-hosts the starting lineup with Frank Isola on Sirius XM NBA Radio. That's 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern time. Also Celtics TV color commentator for NBC Sports Boston and, of course, a former member of the New Jersey Nets with Kerry Kittles. Brian, appreciate your time, man. You got it, guys. Joining us now on Full Court on Flatbush is a friend of the program, Nets beat writer for the New York Post, Brian Lewis. You can read Brian's stories in the Post and at nypost.com and follow him on Twitter at nypost underscore Lewis. And Brian, the first thing I want to ask you about in the midst of all this Kyrie stuff is the head coach, Steve Nash, because, you know, you have a lot of experience interviewing guys, interviewing coaches. I heard you ask a question on the, the telecast last night. Over time, I'm sure you get a read on guys. Are, are, is he still new to the point where you can't get that read, or are you able to decipher that he may be none too pleased by what's going on? It's probably a little new. I, I don't think it's hard for me to decipher that Steve is genuinely a pretty straight shooter, and he's genuinely a pretty honest guy. That's easy to see. What's difficult to sit, to tell is exactly what's going on in his head about Kyrie. Generally, everything that he has said has been straight to the point and accurate, which I can't always say is the case coming from the Nets organization. But in Kyrie's case, I mean, I've asked him multiple times, hey, are you fine with everything that Kyrie has done? Are you okay with every explanation that Kyrie has given? And he's had multiple opportunities to say, yes, I'm 100% fine, or I, we 100% back him or whatever. And they, he's chosen not to say that. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but to me, that is a little bit telling. It's not that hard. You could, If you're really backing him, you could say, yeah, I, I back him and I understand what he's going through. My sympathies are with him and I pray for him or something, whatever way you want to phrase it. And he never says that. So I'm assuming that there's a little something there. In that regard, what, what's your thoughts on Kevin Durant's leadership in response to the absence of Kyrie, uh, how, how he's handled that both on and off the court? Because I actually heard him in some interviews and and said that, uh, you know, he thought that everything should be um, between himself and, and Kyrie and that Kyrie will address these issues when the time uh, when the time is uh, important. So what are your thoughts on, on, on KD's response? It's typical KD. KD is, they're very different guys. I mean, they're good friends, clearly, but they are very different in terms of personalities. Kyrie is the more vocal guy. So he, when he's around, he's actually obviously the more vocal leader on the team. You know, talking to guys, taking this guy under his wing, putting this guy in place on the floor. KD's really kind of a quiet, laid-back dude. He just wants to hoop. That's it. So he's more of a, a leader by example. He is not the guy that's going to give a lot of speeches. He's not the guy that's really going to get in a ton of people's ear. I mean, occasionally, but to a much lesser degree than Kyrie would. So, you know, I think his leadership in this case has been the same leadership mode that he's been in for most of his career. He just goes out and hoops and leads by example and leads by his work ethic and expects guys to follow that. That's pretty much how he leads. You know, uh, Durant's been put in an unfair position by Kyrie, as has the organization, his teammates. I think that's fair to say. They've all gone with the company line that Kyrie will address it when it's appropriate. We're going to keep it in-house. Has anyone given you any indication? Have you sensed from, from any player, from anyone there, that this is genuinely bothering them or that they're upset to have to answer for him? I haven't. 
heard that. No, I mean, I haven't gotten any kind of sense, oh, I'm tired of answering these questions about Kyrie. Yes, I mean, to an extent, I mean, when you look at the statement and you ask Steve or you get you get the statement from Sean, it does kind of have that vibe, you know, that, you know, when you're talking to your grandparents and they're like, hey, when is he going to, when is Kyrie going to speak to us? Well, you'll speak to, he'll speak to you when you're spoken to. I mean, that's kind of the vibe that you're getting from this statement. But I don't get any kind of particular blowback or pushback from any of the players yet on being tired of answering questions about Kyrie. I haven't gotten that yet. And frankly, Steve has taken the brunt of it. Steve has answered probably 10 times more about Kyrie than any of the players have, with the possible exception of KD. Let's talk hoops here now, Brian, more, more specifically on the team and the team's play. I think it's been four games now since Kyrie has been out. What are your thoughts on, on Steve Nash and the, and the adjustments he's been making on the court with, with the lineups change? Obviously, we've seen Bruce Brown in the lineups as, as a wing, uh, more of a defender, has played a pivotal role in some of those wins that they've had. What are your thoughts on those guys and, and Harris and his play in particular, shooting the ball extremely well and, and Levert as well? I think for Steve, it's a growing process. I mean, he's growing as a coach. He's going to, the same way the players are learning each other, he is learning them, and he's also having to learn on the fly how to be a head coach. There were instances where they were mistakes that I thought were fairly obvious. I mean, you're getting pounded on the boards, and you take Jared Allen out at the end of a game, and you get beat on an offensive rebound. There are timeouts that I thought should have been called that were not, and I understand that he wants his guys to work through it, problem solve, as he would say. But then you also look, and some of the experiments have worked. I mean, when you look at some of the lineup decisions that he's made, some of those have worked. Now, I thought Bruce Brown probably could have been in there a little earlier in the season than he was. But then again, I don't get to see practice. So I don't know what he's looked like in practice. Maybe he hasn't looked as sharp as he did in Detroit. I can't say because we can't see what's going on in there. Um so what I would say is not to cop out, but it's really it's a learning process for Steve. It's been ups and it's been downs, and that's probably what it's going to be as the season goes on and he learns this team and he learns how to be a head coach. When you're talking about the the roster overall, I mean, obviously, Kerry alluded to the, the increased roles for LeBert and, and Joe Harris, but um, for players not on the team right now, I, I want to ask the, the big picture question and the small picture question. The small picture question is, you know, have you heard about any roster additions, maybe from the G League or, or whatever, that this team might be considering? And the big picture one is, uh, has there been any rumblings about them re-entering the, the James Harden trade sweepstakes given you know Harden is basically screaming trade me from mountaintops I have not heard about any G League additions I mean Jeremiah Martin I thought was a guy who deserved to be around based on how he performed in the bubble uh, and they do have a point guard need right now with Kyrie down so I mean that's viable but I can't guarantee that he'll be up anytime soon I don't know down the road if Kyrie misses and I'm not saying that he will, but I mean, if he's missing extended time, as far as the James Harden thing, look, I, from what I understand, their ownership for Tita is not enamored with the Nets roster, just flat out. And I don't have any indication that he even wants Kyrie if you offered Kyrie. Um, but if you can loop in, if either side can loop in a third team and that team has more, shall we say, respect or uh, desire for what the Nets can offer, 
then that might make things easier. But from what I understand, Houston has very little interest in what the Nets have to offer. So that's not a two-team match. That would have to be a three-team match. I'm not ruling that out as a possibility. I'm just saying that would be the way it would have to go based on what I understand his opinion of the Nets roster is. Brian Lewis from the New York Post. You can read his stories in the post, nypost.com. Follow him on Twitter at nypost underscore Lewis. Brian, we always appreciate your time. Oh, great. Thanks for having me. Anytime. All right, guys, it's now time for You Got Mail, where Nets fans call into full court on Flatbush and leave their comments, their thoughts, their questions. And the number to call each week is 978-310-1281. Or you can email us at fullcourtonflatbushpod at gmail.com. Guys, we got one voicemail this week on the defense. Take a listen. Hey, this is Jay from New Jersey. I had a question about the defense for the Nets. looks like they switch one through four, and it also looks like the defense is a little too complicated for the players to comprehend, or they just aren't good enough to play one-on-one defense. I just want to know you, your thoughts on the uh, defense so far, which seems to be a problem for the Nets. Well, it's definitely been a problem at times, Kerry. It seems to me sometimes a lack of effort is mistaken for a, a lack of uh, being completely familiar with each other and the, the scheme, because just one split second in the NBA can can mean everything. And the Nets do play a very switch-heavy scheme, so perhaps they're they're still adjusting to one another. I, I do think this is why you see Bruce Brown out there, because he's a live body who can get to loose balls, can help in that regard. So how much do you think is the, the scheme, and how much do you think is just a, a lack of personnel or a lack of effort? I think in moments you probably were equated to lack of effort. They definitely have their had their lapses this season where you just saw so many blow-bys and just not being able to contain the dribble at all. But I think more so than just their ability to contain a dribble and switches and communicate on some of those mishaps, I think mostly what we're seeing on the defensive effort for the Nets is cleaning up the glass. That has been a big deal for them throughout the entire season. They're, I think, the worst in the league with defensive rebounds. So I think we'll see them improve in that area as the season goes along and, and Nash gets a better handle on his roster and, and who's able to give better effort. Yeah, it's not that initial defense, right? It's finishing the play defensively that the Nets have struggled with at times. Um, and we appreciate you calling into the show. You can do that on a weekly basis. And we appreciate you listening to Full Court on Flatbush as well. The next stop is Barclays Center. Flatbush Avenue. That wraps up episode four, the Chris Chioza edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Sarah McCrory for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts, and please give us a five-star rating and write a nice review in there. We appreciate your continued support. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We'll return next Wednesday. Thanks for listening, and as always, folks, stay safe.